Christ is God, if you believe in salvation, if you believe in forgiveness, if you believe in heaven and you believe in hell and you believe in healing and you believe in all these things we believe, you have to believe that it comes from God's Word. Okay? Can I get an amen? I'll preach better if you say amen every once in a while. Taking notes tonight, this is the message. The infallible, irrefutable, inspired Word of God. I'll say it again, don't worry. Infallible, I know there's some big words, makes me feel educated. Infallible, irrefutable, inspired Word of God. Those are three very, very important words. Because you know what I think a lot of times? Because the gospel is so simple... I think a lot of people think that we're dumb because we, we, we don't, we're not educated if we believe in God. How many know that's the opposite of the truth? And, and we know that from what the Bible says in Psalms. It says only a fool says in his heart there's no God. So we're not, we're not fools. We're smart if we believe in God. And we have a source tonight that tells us that God is real and it has withstood this, the test of time. And I'm going to look in 2 Timothy in just a second, chapter 3. But I was telling the guys in discipleship this Friday, I want you to think about this. This is what's amazing. We kind of got into this a little bit on Friday in discipleship. Uh, This is what's amazing about God's Word. It is so deep. How many have ever heard somebody say, wow, that's deep? That is deep, right? That means that's a really profound statement. That's a really profound thought. And so this Word, this book, let me see your Bibles, by the way. Hold them up. Amen? How many got your Bible with you? I'd love to see those Bibles. Amen? And, and maybe it's a tablet, but it's a Bible there. Amen? That, that, that book you have in your hand is something supernatural. It is not just any old book. It is God's Word. And this book is, listen, is so deep that I could dive and dive and dive and dive into it. Listen, I won't live to be uh, saved 100 years. That would be a miracle, right? I saved. That would make me 125. Uh, and I, I believe that that could happen, but it's probably not likely. But if I, if I studied this Bible for 100 years alive, I'm at a fourth of that right now, I would never get to the depths of how powerful and profound this book is. Did you understand that? It is so deep. That doesn't mean I can't understand it. It means it's so deep and so profound and so powerful that the truths will never stop being found, yet it is so simple that a child can understand it. That's the book you have in your hand. So if you need to talk to somebody who says they're educated and, and they need that, they, that nerve hit, that they're smart and they're educated, oh, the, trust me, Bible believers can go there with them. And if you need to talk to somebody who doesn't understand it all and they need it real simple, we can go there too. This word is, is across the board for everybody. Amen. Now, the one verse I'm not going to read tonight that comes to my spirit right before we read this one is, is in Hebrews. It says, so, how, so if, I'm, if we're talking about faith tonight, I sent out a text saying, if you want your faith to grow, uh, how, do, how does our faith grow? The Bible says that our faith grows by hearing the Word of God. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, okay? And so also in Hebrews it says that this book is sharper than any two-edged sword and it goes into our spirits and it divides soul and spirit, bone and marrow. It de- divides physical and spiritual. It, it discerns our hearts. It, gets, it cuts deep and it goes to the deepest, most profound things in our lives. This is the answer 
to every question there is. Now let's look tonight at what the Bible says scripturally about itself. Not too many books can back themselves up like the Bible can. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm only going to show you maybe three or four areas of Scripture right now, and then I'm going to give you some things to think about. 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17. Now, these next three verses, I'm going to give you 2 Timothy, I'm going to give you 1 Thessalonians, and I'm going to give you 2 Peter. Don't worry, I'll go back to them. Those three verses, areas of verses, are the fundamental beliefs in the Bible about God's Word. Okay, how many, how many are with me so far? We've been doing this on Wednesday nights, meaning what do I really believe? What is the foundation of my faith? Okay, and we talked about some different things in the last couple weeks. This is important. So 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17 says, And that from childhood you have known the, say it out loud with me, Holy Scriptures. I want everybody looking at your Bible, if you can, if you've got one, share. I don't want you to take my word for this. It says, which are able to make you dumb for salvation. What will this Bible make you? Wise for salvation through what? Faith in, in who? Now watch this. Most of the Scripture, underline all, all Scripture. What is Scripture? Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 20. At all Scripture, it says, is given by, and there's the last part of the message. Remember I said this is the infallible, irrefutable, and what? Inspired Word of God. So all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Guess what inspiration means? It means breathed. It means God breathed it into us. When you read the Word of God, God is breathing into you. That's a powerful thing to think about. And it says it is profitable for doctrine. That's what we're talking about tonight, doctrinal, fundamental beliefs. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what the Bible says scriptures are. Okay? Very, very important, very powerful. Now let's go on to the second one in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You're going to be right there close by in Timothy. Go back towards the Old Testament in your Bibles and you're going to find Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. Give me an amen when you get there. Listen, this message right here is a soul winning, witnessing testifying message, good notes are going to help you witness to people with this message, I'm telling you. We need this understanding, not because we need to defend the Word of God, but because people need to know we're not just blindly believing something, we're believing something that is powerful and real. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, watch this. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing... Because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, this is powerful, you welcomed it. Now I'm going to have you stop for a second and just look at me for a second. Here's the question. How do I know this is God's word? How do I know that this was not man-made? Now man was involved, but how do I know this was not man-made? How do I know that these scriptures I'm reading are not interpreted by man? How do I? That's the question that people have, and that's the thing people say. 
Can I see your hand if you've ever heard that from somebody? Man, man, man manipulated, man did this, man did that. How can we, how can we, how, and this is the question. But watch, now, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confirm this in a second, because you might still be saying, well, that's still man's words. We'll get to that in a second. But watch what he says, okay? He says, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men. Not at, what does that mean? Does that mean man didn't write it? No, man wrote it down. But it was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, that means that God's hand was, could God have just dropped the notes on the book? Yes, of course. But if you look at the history of the Bible, God's always used man. God's always involved us. That's the way he chose to do it. And so man wrote it. But it was not a man saying, hmm, let me write this down and, 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 and see how this goes. And I'm just going to interject something here that we talked about on Friday in Discipleship. I want you to think about this, and this is later in my notes, but I'm going to throw it out now. Reminder, write this down too. The Bible took 1,600 years to write. 1,600 years from, the, from when Job was written. By the way, a lot of people don't know Job was the first book in the Bible written. Doesn't mean it was before Genesis, but it was the first book written. From the first dotted letter, in, or, uh, dotted I and cross T in, 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 in the Bible to the end, it took 1,600 years to write this book. It's a long time. Over 40 different authors wrote in it. Over 40 different authors. And there's 66 books. I want you to write that down. 66 books. Not 72 as some Bibles have. Not 50 as some Bibles have. Not the Bible and another testament of the Bible or another book that's been written. You don't add to this book. You don't take away from this book. The Bible says if you add to these words, the plagues of the Bible will be added to you. If you take away from these books, the, 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 your name will be blotted out of the book of life. Listen, that's some serious words. There's 66 books in the Bible. Some of you are saying, how do I know there's 66? We're going to get to that. But I want you to understand something. 1,600 years. Now, I told the guys, can you imagine? There was about 20 of us there, 15 or 20. I said, can you imagine if I asked all of us to write a story over the next couple weeks? How that would turn out? Think about it. If I said we're going to write a book for a couple months or whatever, and we're just going to write, we're just going to write, and I'm not talking about um, even remove the Holy Spirit and imagine what would happen. Okay? Now, the reason I say that is because it's an interesting thing. When we do, for example, a Disciples in the Making, we can see the Holy Spirit working today like he did back when they wrote the Bible. Because I'll tell three guys, you're going to preach a message, and I don't tell them what to preach about. I just say you're going to have 15 minutes, and they begin to pray to God, and they begin to seek God, and they begin to say, God, what do you want me to say, just like I do every time I preach, and they, and they get it together, and, and all the time, I can never remember a time we've ever done Disciples in the Making where it, there hasn't been a, 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 a flow of the Spirit through those three messages where three men did not talk to each other, did not decide what they were going to talk about. They might not have the same exact titled message, but it was a message put together that flowed because the Holy Spirit was involved in it. Okay, but can you imagine if we did that with 20 people and over a few months and 
and there was no theme and no Holy Spirit involved because that's the thing that's dynamic because I think about conference. We have a conference every year in Colorado Springs, and we have about 20 different men that preach, and, and it flows by the Holy Spirit. So you can see the small sample size of how when God is, is being sought by the Holy Spirit, how the men are inspired by God, and things flow. But if you take the Holy Spirit away, then we would not have a Bible. Without the Holy Spirit, that book would not, the Holy Spirit is the glue that holds those pages together. And it's been there, as we talked about the last couple weeks, since the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, and it goes on to say, and let us, Holy Spirit, Trinity, make God in our own image. You guys remember that message? Okay? So it's important to understand, if you remove the Holy Spirit, none of this happens. But when you have the Holy Spirit, you can see how it can. But can you imagine the disaster? Of 1,600 years, I want you just to be logical tonight. I would say this to an atheist. I would say this to an agnostic. I would say it to any religious person. Can you just imagine what a book would look like and sound like if it was written over 1,600 years by 40 different people in 13 different places and all kinds of different cultures? Can you imagine what that book would look like? It would not look like the Bible. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had led it all. Led by God, protected by God, sealed by God. Are you all with me so far? It, 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 this happens to be the all-time bestseller, not by accident. Now, it might be the all-time bestseller less read of any book that there is. Right? It's the, it's the most highest-selling, less-read book in the world. That's a good place to say amen or woe is me. Amen? Because maybe we need to read it some more. And let me tell you something. Let me interject that right now. We need to be reading this book more now than we've ever read it before in our lives. This is not the time to stop reading the Bible. This is the time to become stewards of the Bible and study the Bible. We talked about that in men's discipleship where you study to show yourself approved. You're not just coming in here. It blesses me when I see on the phone app at night, when I read the Bible sometimes, uh, at, not that sometimes, at night when I read it before I go to bed, and I see people that I know from the church that have read and they've, and they've, and they've highlighted scriptures, and, and, and it excites me to see that. Because you're not going to make it if you just read the Bible when you come into this service. You've got to study the Bible for yourself. You've got to be able to rightfully divide the Bible for yourself. And well, what, 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 do we, what do we believe on this? No, I'm not talking about being a new believer and learning. I'm talking about being lazy and not studying the Word of God for yourself. So let's get back here and finish this. He says, you welcomed it right in the middle of 13, not as word of men, but as it is in what? Truth. The truth. Word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Powerful scripture. One more scripture tonight. Second Peter chapter 1. Go to the right. Go towards the, the end of the book now. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. And then we're going to move on, and, and I'm going to tell you some things, just some really powerful things to think about tonight. I mean, amen when you get there. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. All right, everybody there? Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Here's what men says. 
Oh, man interpreted that. That's man's interpretation. That's man's manipulation. Man has done this and man has done that. You, at the end of the day, need to make a decision. Do you believe God or do you believe man? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. And we really need to ask it. Not like just to do it, but to answer that inside. Like, do I believe what man says or do I believe what God says? And I just read a scripture from his word that says that this book was not written by private interpretation. Amen. He says, for prophecy, watch this, never came by the will of man, but of holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's powerful. That's God's word right there. This did not come through man's inspiration. And I just told you just about three minutes ago to think about what would happen if man was involved without the Holy Spirit. Okay, it would be crazy. And the amazing thing about this word is it is a puzzle. It's a puzzle. If, how many have ever done a puzzle of at least a thousand pieces? Let me see your hand. At least a thousand pieces. When you throw those pieces out, now you got the picture. You see what the end result looks like. And you throw those pieces out, you can get real, dis, real discouraged real fast. Right? Like once you cheat and get the ends done, right? Once you get the square done on the outside, you feel good. You're like, okay, got a square. Now what? You start getting to those pieces that it's two pieces of blue or five pieces of blue or seven pieces of green and there's nothing else in there and you're like, how is this going to work? And you take that one piece of a puzzle and it doesn't make any sense. But when you put them all together, you see a picture. That's God's Word. That's how God's Word works. You can't just take one piece. Some pieces are easier to understand than others when you look at a puzzle. If it's a house or a car or whatever, you've got some form there. But if it's a sky, you don't have any form, and so it's a little harder. That's kind of how Scripture is. There are some Scriptures that are easier to understand, easier to see what they mean than others. But the bottom line is, this book was written as a puzzle. Not for us to be putting it together and, and be frustrated, but that's how he wrote it, because he wrote it over 1,600 years. Over 66 books and 40 different people writing. Why? So it would become one piece of incredible, infallible, irrefutable, inspired poetry from God. It's poetry, amen? You ever think anybody's got poetry, they got it from God. Now think about these words, infallible. You know what infallible means? Incapable of making mistakes. Is this, God, is this God's word? It's incapable of making mistakes. It's unerring. It's unfailing, it's faultless, flawless, impeccable, perfect, precise, accurate, never failing, always effective. That's what infallible means. That's why I had you write that down tonight, because it's God's infallible word. Here's what irrefutable means. Irrefutable means impossible to deny or disprove. Impossible to deny. Or see, now the deny part's not that hard. Here's the hard part. People have been trying for thousands of years to disprove the Bible, and they can't. Now they can make an argument, but to disprove it, they can't. And 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 as we know, 
just recently, in the last few years, if you remember the movie, Case for Christ, or the book Case for Christ, great example of somebody who is trying his very best in all the knowledge and education he has to refute Christianity, to refute the Bible, and what happens? He makes the biggest mistake of his life in, this, in Satan's eyes. He starts trying to refute the Bible, and instead of refuting the Bible, he gets saved. He puts his faith in Jesus because he can't refute it. He can't deny it. He can't disprove it. It becomes real to him in his studies. And that's what happens over and over and over again. When people don't read the Bible, they're, they're safe. But once you start reading it, it's indisputable, undeniable, unquestionable, beyond question, beyond doubt, conclusive, definite, definitive, decisive, certain, positive, sure. That's what irrefutable means. I know you're not going to get all those written down. I already wrote inspired. You can look in the dictionary. I already wrote inspired, and it's God-breathed. Now, listen to this. This is a statement many of you will know, but I want to say it for tonight before I give you something I've never talked about before that's really powerful. I've said this statement before. The New Testament is, and some of you remember, the most, what? Verified document in human history. Hands down. You ever heard that saying? Hands down. Ever heard the word landslide? The, 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 the validity of the New Testament alone is landslide hands down Easy, the most verified document in human history. And that's historical. You can go to the bank with that and cash that check. Because it's proved, proven over and over again that the manuscripts, now remember what manuscripts are. Manuscripts are copies but not copies like we have today in our technology where you stick it in a machine and it goes over. A manuscript is a copy word for word of an original document. Okay? So what that would mean is tonight, for example, as we're going through this message and you're taking notes of everything I say, Everything I say, you're writing it down. Everybody's writing down. Now that's hard in notes. I'm giving an example. You're writing those notes down. You're writing those notes down. You're writing those notes down. Or, or, or you could write off an accident you saw or a or, or thing that happened or a movie you saw. Whatever it is. It doesn't matter the example. The example is everybody's taking notes. And there would be, from this message, I have the original copy. I have all of my notes here, and this is the original. Okay. And, and somebody here is doing a really good job of taking notes, and you might get 80%, just as an example, of what I said uh, verbatim, and then I would give you mine, and you would compare yours to mine, and all the places that you missed, you would make a manuscript, and you would write down all the places that I said that are word for word from one of my messages, and then you'd say, okay, I missed that, let me get that in there. I forgot that word, let me get that in there. And then you would make a manuscript, it's called, you would make a copy, handwritten, that's what a manuscript is, of exactly word for word what was said. Now before somebody else could have a, could have a copy, they, ha they would have to copy it word for word as well for it to be considered a manuscript. Guess how many copies or manuscripts, handwritten, word for word, there are of the New Testament? 25,000. 
Now, that number might not blow you away, but it will blow you away. And what that means is, and this is the most important part, there's about 9,000 written uh, in a certain way. There's about another 10,000 written in one way. But the most important one is that this New Testament was written in Greek. Greek. Okay? So even though there's 25, are you all with me? Even though there's 25,000 original copies, meaning word for word, it's not considered a manuscript if it's not word for word. It, it, after those 25,000, there's actually 5,800 manuscripts documented by history, not by me, of the Greek text. Okay, 5,800. Now, why is that so amazing? Some of you might remember this, some of you might not. The most, second most documented book in history is Iliad by Gomer, which is a book that's very read in college. If you went to college, you might have read that. That's, that you can check this scientifically, historically, however you want. It's the most documented book outside of the New Testament. Guess how many manuscripts it has? 200. 200 to 5,000. Sorry, 500. My bad. 5,000, which means it's 10 times less than the New Testament. 10 times less. That should be increasing your faith. That should be getting you to believe. I don't just believe this by, just by faith. I believe in something that's real. I believe in something, because let me tell you something. That was, that was a revelation for me. Growing up, I believed because I was told. And that's okay. But as you get older and you start to study the Scriptures for yourself, I got to a place where I started studying not by what was told to me, but I started studying thinking, well, what, what's their thought? What's the other side of this? And there's, there's, trust me, there's, there's no problem in doing that because God is, is a big God and he can handle it himself. You can do all the questions you want. And a lot of times when I'm studying or I'm doing something, I want to go to the other side and say, well, what if? And then you go find a book like this, two, 500 and something manuscripts being the highest. Now, below that, let me, let me read this real quick. This is important. Don't, don't turn me off. Can you give me a few more minutes tonight? Because I haven't got to the best part yet. We're going to save the best for last. Listen to this carefully. Um, so just a few names. Some of these names, honestly, they're too big to, 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 to say. And some of them I don't know because I'm not the most educated person in the room. But there are a few names that I recognize. Just to give you an example, we have historical books. And I know most of us have heard of Julius Caesar. And most of us have heard of Aristotle. Okay? How many have heard of those two people? I, there's other names here, but I just want to hear the one. Okay, everybody's heard of those names. Aristotle, Julius Caesar. They're, they're big, history. Guess how many manuscripts they have? Twelve. 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 Just twelve. Twelve. You're like, twelve? Really? Seriously? You're not even in the game, bro. You're not even in the game. Get lost. Come here, Iliad. You can play. You can play the game. You're going to get slaughtered, but you can play. Those other guys, Aristotle, get lost, man. Twelve manuscripts. And they're considered, here's what's funny, they're considered so amazingly historical. Isn't it amazing how hard it is to believe truth? Even though we have so many manuscripts of it. And then um, there's some other names, like I said. But those are some of the greatest figures of the writings from history. And they're 
not even in the game. Now, this is what I really want you to write down. I want you to write down six things. This is gonna, this is gonna excite you. When I get to the sixth one, you can come, Kristen. I'm, I usually have Kristen come up at a certain time to play, but I want to get through these. Okay, y'all with me? These are gonna excite you. Six E's. Six E's. E that are that are verify the New Testament being real. Okay? Now watch this. Number one, early. Write that down. Early. Early. What does early mean? All the documents of the New Testament were written before 70 A.D. Okay? That means within 70 years of it happening, they were written. 70 years after the, 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 cro- the crucifixion, the resurrection, and all these different things that were written in the New Testament, seven, within 70 years they were written, meaning that early means this shows proof because a lot of these other ones I was mentioning take hundreds of years to be written. What does that mean? That means the further you get away from the original manuscript from the event makes it harder to believe. Okay? If I tried to write a book today, right now, without any history to go with it about something that happened a thousand years ago, it'd be real difficult for anybody to believe me. You're a thousand years removed from that. Are you following me? What 70 years means is that's somebody's lifetime. That means that the New Testament was written early. Okay, that's important. This is going to have a flow in a second. It's going to make sense. Early. Number two, eyewitnesses. These are all E's. And as I'm saying them, I want you to think about them tonight. Eyewitnesses. What makes something valid? Eyewitnesses. Right? We know, without saying what I'm going to say here in a second, we know, for example, that Jesus appeared to over how many people when he rose from the dead? Over 500 people. Okay, but that's a different example. I'm just giving you an example of the fact that 500 people saw Jesus with their own. It says over 500, and, and when, we, when we know the way the Bible mentions numbers, it could be a lot more than 500. Okay, but here's something interesting. 140 eyewitnesses are recorded in the book of John and the book of Acts. What does that mean? That means out of these 140 eyewitness accounts, it means that they they saw something and it was verified by somebody else like, hey, I saw you at church the other night. I know they were there. Y'all with me? Isn't that what happens in court? An eyewitness? Someone gets on the stand and says, I was there, that person was there, that person pulled the trigger, that person hit that person, right? And then somebody else says, hey, I was there, and the one that says he was there was there, and he saw what he says he saw, and it verifies like that. And in the book of John, there are, uh, where's my notes at? Which page am I on? There we go. In the book of John, there's 80 eyewitnesses, and in the book of Acts, there's 60 eyewitnesses. These are just accounts where it was verified by more than one person, okay? Number three. This is an interesting one. Maybe the most interesting to me. Embarrassing facts. Embarrassing facts. Think about this. If you were going to write a book, this is one of the things that's kind of, I guess interesting is just the best word. Really interesting about the Bible. If, If I was writing a book like God did, there's a lot of stuff in that book I would not have mentioned. Are you with me? There's a lot. Have you ever, we've, we've been over those messages, right? 
You read it and you're like, really? God told a man to go marry a prostitute? Are you, are you all following me? You're, you're still here, right? This is important. It means that he did not leave stuff out because it was embarrassing. He did not make the book sound to be like we would have wanted it to sound. Basically, like if someone came over to your house, you'd be embarrassed if it was dirty, something was left out, whatever. You'd be, so you, you wouldn't want them to see certain parts. Or, or if you're telling your testimony, you'd be embarrassed to say certain things because you wouldn't want everybody to know that. Well, God in his word didn't leave any details out. Are you following this? This is one of the reasons that valid, validates sorry, the Bible. And here's, here's a couple more examples. I want you to think about the time when it was written. Jesus calls Peter Satan. That's, that's weird. I wouldn't have probably put that in the book. But why is it in the book? Because Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And so that embarrassing moment is in the book, and that actually valid, validates the Bible. Can I get an amen? amen. Y'all getting this? Here's another one. Um, Peter denies Jesus three times. If I'm writing this book, I'm leaving that out. I'm not going to put that I denied Jesus in there. Or we're just going to let, let the people find out about it. But I'm not going to tell everybody that I denied Jesus three times. I'm not going to put that in there. I'm going to make myself out to be the hero. And I'm going to make sure that my friends, because they all knew each other, hey, hey, leave that out. Okay, I ended up good. Don't put that in there. Leave the details out. Embarrassing moments. How about this? How about uh, uh, they, doubting Thomas? Do you think doubting Thomas would have doubted if he'd have wrote the book? If this isn't a real book, do you think doubting Thomas would have doubted? No, he'd have been the believer. Because when you write books, you write them good. But see, all these embarrassing moments in there, why? Because they happened. Think about this. When, when Jesus gets crucified and all the persecution begins to come, what do the men do? Run. Who wrote this book? Who wrote this book? What were they called? Men. Would men have said we ran? No. What did the women do? Went to the tomb. Y'all don't, I don't think you're getting this. They would, that, that culturally, that would not have been accepted for them to admit that they ran and the women went and did the bold thing. But they wrote it. Why? Because it's an embarrassing moment. Why? Because it happened. Number four, excruciating. Six witnesses of E, excruciating. All the disciples died excruciating deaths. This is one of the biggest reasons why this book is real. If this book was not real, maybe, maybe one dude would have been like, hey, I'm going to be the hero. Maybe one guy would have been like, hey, I'm going to give my life for this, even though Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, even though I didn't really see him appear. This is a good story, and Jesus was my guy. So I'm going to make him look good, and I'm going to take the sword. I'm going to fall on it. I'm going to die for him. Are y'all with me? But not one guy did it. All of them did it. And they didn't all do it the same day. 
And they didn't all do it the same way. They didn't get on their cell phones and say, hey, this thing's going down. And Jesus told us we need to die for him. So I'll meet y'all at this place. And we're going to have these dudes kill us. They all died different deaths at different places on their own faith and their own account. Excruciating deaths. I'm going to throw just a few out and not get into too much detail. James was martyred by a sword. Bartholomew was beaten and beheaded. Andrew was crucified. Just like Jesus, except no nails. Actually took longer because he was just tied up there. Thomas, doubting Thomas, remember that guy? The embarrassing moment guy? He was speared to death for Jesus. Why? Because he touched his hands and touched his feet. James, out of Alphaeus, was stoned to death. And, and my favorite, Peter, was also crucified. But when they went to crucify him, he said, I am not worthy. Now, I want you to think about this. If this wasn't real, he'd be like, all right, let's get this over with. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, let's just get this over with. I'm going to go ahead and finish this story. But he didn't do that. He said, I'm not worthy to die the death that my Lord and Savior died. Crucify me upside down. And my hair just hit my jacket. Crucify me upside down. Is anybody seeing what I'm seeing tonight? These are real accounts. It's one thing to say, okay, we're going to fall on the sword. We're going to go through with this lie of deception that we were taught by Jesus. It's another thing to say, I'm not worthy to die like that man that is my Savior. Crucify me upside down. Number five, expected. Expected. Expected testimony. What does that mean? Some of you tonight have been thinking, I know I can read your minds. Well, you're just talking about the New Testament. What about the Old Testament? Well, that's number five. Because everything written in the Old Testament was expected in the New Testament. Everything that was written was written from before that would be fulfilled in the New Testament. For example, there are 355 prophecies in the Old Testament just about the life of Jesus. Just about specifically the life of Jesus. One of the greatest being in Isaiah 53, just write that down, 1 through 5. That's an absolute perfect depiction of how Jesus would die on the cross and how he would die for us. But I want to give you one example as I'm closing tonight. And I want you to go to the book of Zechariah. I just want to give you one example out of 355. How many give me just a couple more minutes? Okay. Three, uh, Zechariah chapter 12. Give me an amen when you get there. Let me get over there myself. I want you to see an example of how this, this, this made-up book works that people think is made up. Zechariah, written thousands of years before Jesus, says this in 12 verse 10. Give me an amen when you get there. And I will pour on the house of David... And on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, watch this, the spirit of grace. Does that sound familiar to you now that you've read the New Testament? The spirit of grace and supplication. Then, watch this, they will look on me, capital M, whom they pierced. Does that sound familiar? Yes, they will mourn for him, capital H, 
as one mourns for his only son. Does that sound familiar? And grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. Just one example in the Old Testament. Now go over to Luke chapter, or sorry, John chapter 19 and watch how this is fulfilled. John chapter 19. Give me an amen when you're there. Actually, 36, if you want to just see that, 36 is, write this down in your Bible right there in 36. I've got this written down in mine. If there's room on the top or the bottom or the side, write down Psalms 34, 19 and 20. Just write that down. And that says, verse 36, For these things were done, that the Scripture should be fulfilled, not one of his bones shall be broken. That's another example. I was going to give you one, you got a bonus. They're right next to each other. But verse 37 comes from Zechariah 12.10. It says, they shall, sorry, and again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Thousands of years before. So expected, verses were expected in the New Testament. And, and the way that they were able to recognize that Jesus was who he says he was is because they knew the Old Testament and they saw it come to pass. Didn't Jesus say as he stood in the temple, these words that I'm reading today have been fulfilled before you? Said it himself. Okay? He is the bread of life. He is the, 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 the Lamb of God. All these things fulfill. Last one, number six. Extra biblical. Extra biblical. This is pretty powerful. There's at least 10 ancient. Now, this is, this is kind of, you know, here's the thing. If I toot my own horn, a lot of people are really good at tooting their own horn. Like they can talk about themselves all day long. But what makes something really valid is when somebody else says, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that thing they're saying, yep. As much as I hate to admit it, that's ha- that happened. 10 Ancient non-Christian books have been written, were written after um, the, the, the resurrection of Christ within, watch this, within 150 years that mention, I'm just going to throw these together, and Kristen, you can go ahead and come now. They're just going to throw a few of these things in. Don't turn me off because I said that. In these books, I'm paraphrasing, they said these words. We see that Jesus lived during the time of Caesar. He lived a virtuous life. He was a wonder worker. He had a brother named James. He was acclaimed to be the Messiah. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Darkness and an earthquake occurred when he died. His disciples believe he rose from the dead. His disciples were willing to die for their belief. And Christianity spread rapidly as far as Rome. And his disciples denied the Roman gods and worshipped Jesus as God. All those statements were not statements by Christians. They were statements by non-Christians about those men written within 150 years of Jesus dying. Isn't this amazing tonight, church? They were not believing something like a bunch of fools. We're believing something that is real. Amen. 
And, and these are some great witnessing tools because if you really begin to think about these things, th these, are, these are real things. You need to ask yourself, would you have put those embarrassing things in there? You need to ask yourself, if everything you believe was a lie, would you die for it? These are things where you need to stick yourself. These men that wrote this book were family men. They had families. They were just like me and you. They didn't drive a car or have a cell phone, but they lived lives just like us. And, and all of a sudden, have you ever, like, just had the Holy Spirit of God come on you and you say something that you're like, where did that come from? Or you do something that you knew was not in your power. Or you have a thought that you're like, man, that was God. Right? Or you do something that you say, I would never have done that if it was for me. Maybe it was a move, a move of compassion or help somebody. Those are just some examples of what happens when God comes on you. Everything those disciples did was because God had come into their lives. And he had changed them. He had transformed them. He had set them free. And he had shown them that he was who he said he was. So we're not here tonight just believing just some book. We believe that this is the word of God. The word of God. And that should increase our faith tonight. Father, we thank you for these amazing facts. Just reading just a couple of the 350 plus examples of Jesus in the New Testament from the Old Testament is just an amazing thing, God. Lord, I thank you tonight that I don't have blind faith. You know, I'm going to admit, Lord, I would believe anyways because I do. I believed before I started to study these things out, but the more I study, the more real you become. The more I read your word, the more I see this is your written word. Infallible, irrefutable, and inspired by God. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed tonight, my prayer for you is that when you leave tonight, you will have more faith why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We're going to close tonight in prayer. We're going to close tonight uh, declaring that I'm a believer in the Word of God. Every word is inspired by God. It is profitable. It is for inspiration. It is for correction. It is for instruction in righteousness. It is for reproof that I may be the complete man of God that he's called me to be. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed all across this place. Maybe you're listening online. How many all over this place could say, I need Jesus tonight. I need to be born again. I want to become a believer of this God tonight. The real God, the living God, the God of the Bible you've never said that prayer tonight just put your hand up and say pray for me pastor I want to be saved tonight I want to be born again tonight I want to give my life to Jesus tonight God bless you I see your hand how many more that's me I want Jesus I, I've, I, maybe you're here and, and you've had some kind of belief system some kind of belief system but you didn't really know why didn't really know how tell you something this is a real book 
by real men inspired by a real God. And just as Dwayne said tonight, we've been talking about recently, this is the God who answers prayers by fire. He's the real God as we talked about Sunday morning. He's not a God of religion. He's a God of power. He's a God of might. He's a God of strength tonight. How many more would say tonight I've had a revelation from God's word and I have realized I believe in the true living God because of his word. Faith has come by hearing and tonight hearing by the word of God. Let me just say that's pray for me tonight, Pastor. I want Jesus. Maybe I'm backslidden tonight. As we stand to our feet tonight all over this place, those that raise their hands, I want you just to do one more thing. I did this 25 years ago last month. I've never regretted it. I made a public confession of my faith. I said, I, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. For the rest of my life, I'm going to be radical for Jesus. If you want to put Jesus as Lord of your life tonight, I want you to step out of your seat. Come down here, and I want to pray for you right now. If your hand went up, don't hesitate. Just come down. We're going to pray tonight. Amen. Right now that God would do a work in your life. Amen. Praise God. You can just face me. That's fine. Amen. Online, those that are listening online, we're going to say this prayer all together as a church. And maybe there's someone listening online that, that needs to be saved tonight. And here we're going to say it together and repeat this after me. I'm saying this straight from the Bible. Lord Jesus, I believe in your written word inspired by you. I believe that you came down from heaven as the word. And you came to live a perfect life, as was prophesied in the Old Testament. I believe you lived a perfect, sinless life. And then you died a perfect death, sacrificially for me, to take my place, because the wages of my sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus, I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord Jesus come into my life tonight forgive me of all my sins because I know I fall short wash me clean in your blood that you shed sacrificially for me on that cross I also confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord that you rose from the dead and conquered death, hell, and the grave. And you ascended into heaven. And you're praying for me right now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus, I commit my life to you. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's give the Lord praise tonight for these souls praying this prayer tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We worship you, Father. Tonight we're going to open up the altars. Just find a place tonight. Maybe, maybe just re-solidify. God, make a, make a covenant with God again tonight. I just believe your word. Maybe you need to say, Lord, give me a hunger. Give me a hunger for your word. Listen, you cannot go wrong being hungry for the Word of God. As we begin to sing tonight, let's just sing a song. And we're just going to pray and seek God's face tonight.